of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the words of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lied down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Then then the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hear about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I wouldn't judge that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel laid down until morning and then opened the doors of the house to the, of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli said to Samuel, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Thank you, Maylie. Our Lenten sermon series is titled Strategic Surrender, and the, the white flag of surrender is our, our image that is focusing our attention 
on this, this concept of, of surrendering, surrendering ourselves to the will of God, to the word and the will of God, and especially at a strategic time in our church's life that we have completed a, a mission study and, and gathered together and shared where our passion for ministry is and where we hope that our church will go from here on out. But we recognize at this point, during the season of Lent, that if we were to, to just go 100 miles an hour right toward those goals and those hopes and dreams, we might just outpace where God wants us to be and, and, and God's guidance. We might not be listening or attentive. And so in the church, being attentive, being surrendered to God is of strategic importance. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago when we launched this series that it just so happens that, that the word surrender uh, is a, uh, a term that actually is the title of Bono's autobiography that came out last fall. That's Bono, the lead singer of the band U2. And, and actually, I've been reading that autobiography, and surrender in terms of spiritual surrender, surrender is, is a very much a, a theme. And I found a, a video clip of an interview that Bono did with NPR that I want to play a clip of for you. And just kind of give you a, a question to be thinking about as you listen to what he says. How does surrender involve listening? But the surrender that I refer to in the title of the book is somewhat elusive for me. I know it's my antidote because I was born with my fists up. I really need to put them down. And the search for the extraordinary is something I have to... I have to own up to. And, and I may have to reframe it. Because why? Because there is because a cost Because it's Everest. It? It, you yeah. know, it is my drug of choice. It's doing really difficult things. Mm-hmm. And mm. it just, just shut up and listen is kind of where I'm at at the moment to be more... You, so, you yeah, shut me, up and listen. That I, yeah. I just need to be more silent and to surrender... To my band, it's been, you know, at the core of what I'm trying to do with my life. Surrender to my wife. Surrender to, you know, our maker. These are not things that come easy from to me. And I wanted to write that. I wanted to, I wanted to witness against myself. I wish to, one day, surrender totally. But in the meantime, I'm I'm on my way there. So for Bono, this is a, a time in his life where where he's under the direction of a phrase, and that is shut up and listen. Have you ever been there? In Lent, we are invited to live a listening life. And oftentimes during seasons of Lent, when, when we allow for our lives to slow down, and we might make some intentional choices 
to lower the volume of our lives. We often place ourselves in a position where we hear that call to silence. We hear that call to do less contributing to the noise and do more listening, listening to voices of people, listening to the voice of God. You know, there is a fascinating way of looking at language to see how some words go out of fashion as new words come to be in fashion and well used. There's a word that doesn't get spoken much anymore. It's a word in English. There are some expressions where it does come back, and that word is heed. Heed, H-E-E-D. I can't remember the last time I, re- I wrote that word, um, let alone spoke it. But to heed, verb, means to pay attention to something, to regard something, or to observe it carefully. Some of the synonyms in a thesaurus, if you look at the word heed, are hear, listen, obey, or take to heart. And the antonyms? Well, that would be to ignore or to neglect. To heed the word of the Lord is a classic understanding of what it means to live faithfully. But we don't often use that word today. And so I think we're due for a lesson in the listening life from Samuel. A little background on Samuel. His name sounds like the Hebrew phrase, heard by God. Heard by God. Now, some of you know Samuel's origin story from the first chapter of 1 Samuel. God heard the anguished prayer of his mother, Hannah, who wanted desperately to have a child and yet did not yet have one. And she placed all of her hope, her last hope, before the Lord while Eli was leading worship. And God heard her prayer. Samuel was the answer to that prayer. And Hannah dedicated him to the Lord's service. And he, in a sense, kind of went away to boarding school at a very young age to train an apprentice under Eli because he truly was a gift from God to Hannah. Now, Samuel is an important character in the Bible. I would say probably one of the more underrated in Scripture. Very strategic in God's unfolding plan of salvation. He is the main character in the shift from God's people being ruled by judges to God's people being ruled by kings. Samuel himself is known as the final judge, but also as the first prophet. The the first prophet, as we come to know the prophets, 
in the time when Israel had kings. So the prophet is the one who speaks the word of the Lord to those in political power. And Samuel was the first one who did that. God calls him to first anoint King Saul. So for, for someone to do God's work of anointing the king, the first king, for a group that, that, that of tribes that had been loosely put together, the fact of him being understood as a prophet by all of those various pro- tribes is very important. And that's why these first few chapters of First Samuel are so important. And then ultimately, and we're going to come around to this at the very last of our sermon, he anointed King David, starting a royal line that Christians believe culminates in Jesus as God's king. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 is the account of Samuel learning to listen to the voice of God. It's a It's a story that is very appropriately taught in Sunday school, since it involves a kid. But a kid doing a very serious thing, of vital importance to God's people. But it's set against a very serious background, and it's actually part of the plot. So... Initially, I was looking at this, hey, I'm going I'm to preach about how Eli, this wonderful, faithful servant of God, is like Samuel's coach in the listening life. And in fact, that is what he's doing. But he's not just the wise old servant of God. He's also the one who is about to be judged by God as unfaithful. And the message that God wants to get to Samuel is that very message. So this is really serious stuff that Samuel is about. But the, the priest Eli coaches young Samuel in listening to the Lord. But even so, I think there's something in the text. You know, Eli receives this word from Samuel, and it's a word of judgment. And there's a nugget in here, even from Eli that when he responds to what God has told him about his coming demise in his leadership of God's people, Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him, it says in verse 18. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. That sounds like Eli's moment of saying, not my will, but yours be done. How difficult it must have been for him to say that. And yet he probably knew that his reaction to the word of the Lord that came to Samuel would help shape how Samuel heard and communicated the word of the Lord. Let's just say that there's a lot at stake in Samuel's listening to the Lord. And there's a lot at stake in our listening to the Lord. Making wise choices in a world with a bewildering array of options. Transcending self-interest in order to truly love the people in our lives. Finding and then fulfilling our vocation, our God-given calling in life. And frankly, just making it through day by day with all the unanticipated detours and challenges that come our way.
Samuel shows us how to invite God to speak into our lives. Reading from 1 Samuel 3, verses 7 through 10. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had yet to be revealed to him. How often we find ourselves in that place. What we desperately need to hear from the Lord, we haven't heard it yet. Will we present ourselves before the Lord to hear it? Or will we just turn up the volume to our lives? A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Wonderfully read. Mainly, that whole interchange. Just a wonderful story. Then Eli realized something. Okay, something's going on here. It's not just that this kid won't stay asleep. It's that God is calling Samuel. And Eli said, go lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel went, and he lay down, and the Lord came and stood there and calling him as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. That phrase, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, is the foundational phrase of Christian prayer. A prayer of listening a prayer of contemplative silence, opening ourselves, inviting the Lord to speak his word into our lives. We give, by saying that phrase, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, we we give attention to God. We do the opposite of ignoring or neglecting God's voice. We pay attention to it. We heed God's voice. We embrace the silence that would give us the ability to discern God's voice. And we do this, if we take this phrase and bring this into our lives, we do this in a world where the volume is always 10 out of 10, isn't it? Like, like, how do we discern the voice of Jesus when we hear so many voices? How do we hear the still, small voice? To use another illustration from the life of God's prophet, Elijah. How do we hear that still, small voice when the sounds around us clamor for our attention and the volume is so high? Marjorie Thompson works with the Henry Nouwen Society and has taught many people about the listening life through her books, chiefly kind of a modern classic on spiritual practices called Soul Feast. She encourages families to support and encourage contemplation, having a respect for silence that enables us to listen to the Lord She invites us in our families, our family life, to guard and provide for places of quiet. 
What stressed out parents and kids often have in common is the need to quiet down and listen to their feelings, to think certain thoughts that equip us to engage in a deep conversation with God. Think back to a, 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 a meaningful retreat or Christian camping experience that you experienced. Isn't it amazing what happens in your life during those quiet times? Sometimes the thing that you bring back from those mountaintop experiences happened not because the speaker was so good or that that adventure was so great. It's just that you were given time and space just to be, just to be. And you started to hear God. You started to pay attention to God. Is there a way to bring this practice into our daily rhythms of life? It might be scheduling a regular quiet time at a particular time of day. You know those retreat organizers? They actually set up that retreat so that you'd have some quiet time. We can do that for our lives. It might be in the way that we, that we lay out the rooms in our house. Is there a place, perhaps a special chair, designated for quiet listening? For you and your family, what might this prayer chair be? Thompson also makes an observation that really struck a chord with me. It's about the whole idea of quiet time or really timeouts in how we've, we structure that with children. You know, at a certain point, there was a major shift from, from discipline that involved physical um, uh, negative stimuli, like spankings and things like that, to being largely about timeouts. So quiet time... And time alone in one's room, for instance, for whole generations of children can be almost exclusively related to punishment and something that you want to avoid. Thompson writes this, if time alone in one's room is used solely as a threat or punishment, the result can be a negative experience of solitude that undermines our capacity for prayer. She mentioned that she learned this from Henry Nouwen himself in his writings on spirituality and the family. But it leads to a, a deeper question for all of us. How have we been formed in such a way as to fear silence? How have we been formed to fear the silence? Some of us are in a life stage and a situation that leaves us with plenty of silence. Solitude or time spent alone is not a problem for us. And our growing edge might be more in the direction of remaining connected to others in community if we live alone, for instance. But there might still be ways for us to grow in the listening life even then. Applying Samuel's guidance might be simply to be more intentional about saying that phrase of invitation. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's a really different thing to be alone saying that to God 
than just being alone. Writing it in a prominent place, setting a particular time of day in order to listen to the Lord in that way, taking a walk with the express purpose of speaking that phrase over and over and just seeing, just waiting for what God will bring to your mind. Or keeping a journal to jot down what does come to your mind when you speak this phrase. For many of us, we have the opposite problem. Times of solitude and silence are really hard to come by. Our lives move along a mile a minute with hardly a rest, which we know we are not getting very much of. The ever-encroaching demands of work, the hobbies that we pursue, the activities we sign up for, the demands of family life, the latest streaming show that we have to binge watch. Just recently, a few friends shared with me that that during this Lent, they have given up the need to constantly be listening to something. For both of them, they, they love to listen to music and listen to podcasts. I have a pastor friend who, who regularly listens to podcasts. It helps his teaching ministry, his preaching ministry. But during Lent, he is going on his daily bike ride without listening to a podcast. And he's learning something. He's learning that he thinks different thoughts. There's more of a sense of being in contemplation, being in communication with God. Might this be something that you might want to try out? Maybe it's, maybe it's on your commute where you normally listen to something. Maybe it's just braving, braving the silence. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You know, in addition to this, I want to mention that there's something powerful in the listening life about escaping our highly decibeled industrial and technological world into places where one can sense the sounds of nature more clearly. And this is kind of the spiritual importance of creation care for Christians. You know, if, if, we, if we don't care about God's creation, just say, well, yeah, pave over that and take that forest out, pretty soon there's going to be no places within our, our, our reach on a regular basis to just be in that place, to be with the Lord. Escaping into God's creation is a foundational discipline in the listening life. I remember once hearing a story of a Whitworth University professor who, who would take his young son out into the country just to listen to the sounds. Just to listen to the birds and write down, this is what I heard. Just to listen to the insects, the rustling of the wind. But it was done as an exercise in preparing themselves to hear the still small voice of the Lord. Where might you go this Lent? to find quiet, to listen. In conclusion, I mentioned that, that Samuel was, a, was an example of someone who, who lived a listening life, and from that we have a lot to learn. There was one moment at the end of, not at the end really, but, but really the height of his ministry as a prophet where his listening to the Lord was of vital importance. Like things could have really gotten off track for God's people. And that was when he was called to anoint a new king. There was a moment, so he was sent 
to Bethlehem to a person named Jesse because God had told him that one of Jesse's sons was the one that God was anointing as the new king. And Samuel engaged in a conversation. This is what you find all throughout the first chapters of first, of first Samuel, is God said this to Samuel. And then it says, but Samuel said to God. And then it says, God said to Samuel. And then ultimately it says, and Samuel did what God said. So, so Samuel lived this listening life that is a dialogue life. It's God said, Samuel said. God said, Samuel said. God said, Samuel said. God said, Samuel did it. Right? And that's the listening life, the, the listening life that we can do. Well, in this case, he was in this back and forth thing. And he was standing before Jesse's firstborn son. And he had never seen someone who was fit for that part of being king before in his life. Samuel was sure, was sure that this was God's choice. And he got his anointing oil ready. But he was living the listening life. And he was able to hear the voice of the Lord say, "Uh uh-uh, not him. And when God said, not him, God gave him a little bit of wisdom that Samuel heard God say. And that is, you know, people look at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And he got, went through basically all of Jesse's sons, and there was no one left. Didn't get the go-ahead from God. And finally he asked Jesse, are there any more? Well, there is the youngest who's out taking care of the sheep. And the rest is history. There was a lot at stake that day, and there's a lot at stake in our attentiveness to God, to God's voice. It's always the most important strategic thing that we can ever do, individually and corporately. So let's live a listening life. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen.